Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You will find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now today's episode. My name is Adam Homey. I'm your host and I am honored by your wise decision and tune in to join us today. We have somebody here who's going to be a real treat. You are going to love this topic. It's called Solid Ground, a foundation for winning in work and in life. And the guest we have today is the author of the book by the same name. His name is T.W. Lewis, or we can call him Tom. T.W. Lewis is the author of Solid Ground and the founder of T.W. Lewis Company, an award-winning Scottsdale, Arizona-based real estate investment, an investment company, rather, known for its quality and outstanding customer service in the home building industry. One thing you might want to know about our guest today is he received a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Professional Builder Magazine and was the first inductee into the National Housing Quality Hall of Fame. He's been engaged in some other things as well. For example, he and his wife, Jan, formed the T.W. Lewis Foundation to support higher education, children and families in need, youth charter education, and a variety of local and national nonprofits that strengthen America's civil society. In 2015, they created the Lewis Honors College at the University of Kentucky. I'm so excited about this. The University of Kentucky. So, T.W. Lewis, come on in. The weather's fine. Hi, Adam. Nice to meet you. And likewise. And, you know, with your impressive credentials here, I'm not sure if I'm worthy to be in this conversation. This is my show. So I'm very excited to have someone of your caliber here. And I know you have a lot to share on the topic of solid ground, foundation for winning and work in life. Before we get to that, though, we want to take a quick step back and what we like to do with all of our guests here at Business Creators Radio is have you tell us a little bit about your journey and what's brought you to where you are today, serving business creators in the world from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion, making a difference for your community, market, and audience. Okay, well, uh, you know, the first five chapters of my book really outline what I'll call my journey uh, to becoming an entrepreneur and, a, and ultimately a philanthropist. Um, but... Uh, <clears throat> You know, I guess everything uh, starts in your childhood, and I, I was a military brat and moved around a lot as a kid. And then when I was 12, we moved back to the state of Kentucky, where I began to, uh, to learn about life. And uh, one of the highlights, I think, of my high school career was, was playing uh, high school football. And um, All right. I talk about that in, in the book, and uh, football really prepares you for life, because in football, you get knocked down a lot, and you have to get back up. And that happens a lot, and you have to you have to suffer a little bit, or uh, you know it's, it's hard. It's a team sport, and all the lessons that really apply in business. I think I began to learn them playing high school football, and um, you know especially about a team. You know everybody talks about a team, but if you've never really been on a real team, it, it's it's easy to to miss the point. But um, you know teams are uh, have common goals. They share in the vision. 
they, they look up to the leader and uh, everybody depends on everybody. And so I think that's where I first began to learn uh, the lessons that really helped me a lot uh, in creating my business, you know, many years later. You know, part of what resonates about that with me, I was not the type of athlete you were. I didn't play football, baseball. I mean, hell, I couldn't even play dodgeball. But I was involved growing up in bowling. That was my sport. And I belonged to a Saturday morning league going through, uh, you know, my early years going up to being an adolescent. And at one point, and for one season, I was a team captain. Now, they thought it would be funny to name my team the gutters and stick me with all the runs of the league, but they weren't laughing when we led the league five weeks in a row. Mm -hmm. What I discovered pretty much in real time, without much mentorship, without much training, without really even a frame of reference to go on, was how to get people who didn't really know how to bowl, who candidly could barely even pick up the ball in some cases, to get them to roll the ball down the lane, to get a basic understanding of how to position yourself, how to approach, how to bring your arm back and roll the ball down, and how to understand and get familiar with the grooves of the lane through your practice round to understand how to make that ball move to knock more pins down. Sounds very simple, and that's the level I kept it at. And what I remember most about that experience was seeing the pride and excitement that my teammates developed when they started rolling strikes. Here they were, they could barely even pick up an eight-pound ball, and they were rolling strikes. So to me, that was something. I really, I don't know that I had any advanced coaching abilities at that time. As I said, it was real simple. Just show them how to pick up the ball and roll it. It hits the pins in a way that more of them will fall down. Now, going back to you, I found that people who do participate in athletics, whether it's at the high school level, the college level, the professional level, they tend to have a real sense of community and what it means to create strength through relationships and synergies. And I, having previewed the topic of your book, I can see where some of that's going to come through as we go through our conversation. So, yeah, any, go ahead. No, you, you just touched on a real important concept, and that is uh, the way you learn, I think, you know, and, and life takes time to, to play out, and there's so many things that you need to learn, but the best way to learn is to try something that's hard. It, it could be bowling. It could be football. It could be anything that's hard. Uh, realize how, how much effort it takes to get better, and then the more you practice, the better you get, and the more you practice you, and try things hard, the more you fail and maybe get knocked down, and then you get back up. And as you get better, what happens is your confidence goes up. And as your confidence goes up, you're also developing your talent. And, and then it's kind of a cycle. Try hard things, uh, fail, learn, repeat, get better. And, and what also happens in that cycle is you're, uh, you, you encounter adversity and you build your resilience. And that's really what life requires, and that's certainly what business requires. Precisely. So at any rate, you've built a successful real estate business, and as I mentioned a few moments ago, you become a noted philanthropist. Why did you decide to write a book, and why did you call it Solid Ground? Well, you know, I, I've been a student of success my whole life, and uh, I think it really started in high school playing football, and uh, 
I just began watching people and observing who were the successful people, who were the leaders, and what they did that was different than others. And um, I've also read all of the success books that have come out uh, over the last many decades, starting with Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People and Stephen Covey's Seven Habits and Malcolm Gladwell's uh, Outliers and, and more recently Angela Duckworth's Grit. And um, they all talked about success, but I thought they were missing some of the key components that, that I found really build success. And all the things about those authors, and they're all very, very smart people, but none of them are business people, <laughs> you know. And uh, I thought I'd learned some things that, that they had left out in their success books. And, uh, you know, uh, it's funny, but uh, Dale Carnegie in his book uh, that was written back in around 1920, uh, talked about 12 rules for winning friends and influencing people. And uh, I learned that in my 20s, and I really began to, to use those. And then, then several decades later, Stephen Covey wrote the book Seven Habits. So he, he boiled it down to seven things. And then Malcolm Gladwell recently uh, in his book said that success was really dependent on only three things, which were hard work, talent, and good fortune. And then Angela Duckworth comes out with her book, Grit, and basically says it's just one thing. You have to have, you have to they came up with 10 things that were, I, I think, the most important 10 things. And some of those are, have been mentioned before, like character and hard work and goal yeah. setting. But a lot of them haven't been mentioned. And the, the, the ones that have not been mentioned, uh, I talk a lot about in my book. And, and they're the ones that I think it really takes to reach your potential. And that starts with making good decisions, taking smart risks, um, keeping your drive alive, and, uh, and ultimately managing your career. And so, and, and then the other thing that I, I left out there is finding your talent. You know, everybody, I think, has an, a natural talent. And, uh, you know, we're, we're not all good at everything. You know, I'm, I was good in math. Uh, my sister was good in language. I couldn't understand language, and but I was good in math. And so, but we all have our own unique talents, and it takes a long time to really find that. And so, what I'm trying to tell the readers in my book is, don't worry so much about your passion when you're uh, when you're younger. Uh, develop your habits, your work ethic, your uh, your personal character, your your self awareness, and as you grow in your career. Uh, focus on building your talent and then because your passion i think can change over time Correct. You know, when, I, when i was in high school my passion was was sports and and then as i got into college at kentucky my passion was basketball but i'm i'm not tall enough or quick enough to be any good at basketball so yeah. but i tried to and i tried to do that I, I would surely have not done very well but you know i found i could i was good in school and a good student and so i I, I developed academically and um, and then from engineering school at, at the University of Kentucky, I went straight to the graduate business school at North Carolina because I, I knew then engineering was not my thing and that business was something that I was naturally drawn to. And um, I like to ask young people, what are the two words that really get you excited? You know, to me, when I was in grad school, I got excited when I heard the words construction and investment. And I still do. I mean, those words somehow just resonate with me. 
And I've talked to a lot of young folks over the years, and I always love to ask them, you know, what are you going to do when you grow up? And what are your two words? Because those two words will really kind of point you in a direction. And, and they kind of are, uh, are hints about what your, what your talent really is. And uh, so that's, that's one of my messages is to find your talent. Don't worry too much about your passion because your passion will change and your talent won't. You know, it's, I just thought of something here, and I've shared this in books, I've shared this in speeches, I've shared this many times. When I was growing up myself, I had decided that my goal in life was to become an attorney. And there, were, there was a stated reason, I think there was an unstated reason. The stated reason is I had a very strong interest in presidential history, and I had this dream that I would be president of the United States one day. And in doing some early research, I noticed a lot of them had been attorneys. So I thought, well, I'll become a lawyer and make me a president. I think there was also an unstated piece that my dad had gone to law school but not completed that journey and ended up doing something else. And maybe there was something that I wanted to complete on his behalf. I don't know. Maybe that's the case. Maybe it wasn't. So I went to college. I majored in political science with minors in history and Middle East studies. And it was really geared toward the idea that I would go to law school afterwards. Three weeks before the end of my super senior year, because I did a ninth semester basically because I wanted to, because I wanted to pick up all those classes I had to miss. And I really wanted to get the full college experience. I attended a three-hour seminar that was put on by one of the adjunct professors at Penn State University, who's a corporate attorney who taught some of the pre-law classes. He was charismatic. He was mesmerizing. He was in your face. He made you think. He challenged you. He drew me in. I hung on his every word. At the end of those three hours, there was no way in hell I was going to be a lawyer. Yeah, well, he know, showed me another side of it. So yeah, what yeah. that showed me is my passion was somewhere else, and that created a whole new journey for me that I was just embarking on right before I was getting my degree. Wow, that was well, a great time. <laughs> you know, uh, I think one of the things you just said that, that I also touch on in my book is you need to be open to experience and new experiences. And, uh, you know, you deciding to go to law school just kind of was an example of trying something hard. When you try something hard – you run a, you, it intersects you with all kinds of new people and new ideas and new things. And it allows you to kind of get closer and closer to what you really are interested in and what you really are good at. And ultimately leading to your purpose and your passion and your success. Um, but you have to be willing to, to kind of get out of your comfort zone. And uh, there's a chapter in my book uh, on risk taking. And I talk about getting comfortable being uncomfortable. And, and that's an important trait because uh, in life and in, certainly in business, you're going to get out of your comfort zone a lot and you have to deal with all that. And then the more you deal with it, just like bowling or high school football, you in, uh, encounter adversity and then you build your resilience and your confidence and your talent. And that, that's just how it works. You know, another thing I would say on what you just talked about with your professor, I had a similar experience in Chapel Hill. Um, is that uh, these people that, that you encounter really become your, what I call role models. Uh, and I, today, a lot of folks like to talk about mentors, you know, and they want a mentor. But I never really liked the word mentor because to me, that implies that it's, it's the mentor's responsibility to teach you. And it's really not. Uh, if you're counting on somebody else to teach you, you're 
going to be disappointed. You really, by taking responsibility of that and, and, and finding your own role models, you know, by watching people that you admire and who do things the way you would like to be able to do, that also uh, points you in the kind of in the direction of your dreams and uh, causes you to become your best self. Great. And I, I agree with that entirely. Now, you may have noticed one of the taglines of the Business Creators Radio Show, in fact, of pretty much all my lines of business, of which I have three, is the intersection of your brilliance and your passion, or your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. And I've had these discussions with folks who believe that passion is overrated, passion is the wrong way to look at it. At the same time, I believe that you have a journey toward finding that intersection and not only will that goalpost move over time, but it's okay for it to move over time, and you should expect it to move over time as you have new experiences and as you move along your journey. You're going to be passionate about one thing at one time and another thing at another time. I'll tell you a clue about that whole law school thing is while I was in college and I was finally taking courses in my major after three years of general education, I was acing all my poli-sci term papers with very, very little effort, just the time I needed to type them the night before. <laughs> and, and I usually got an A on every single one of them. But most of my time in the computer lab, and I'm dating myself back to the days when we used to go to computer labs rather than have them in our dorm rooms, was spent, and this is the late 1990s, on websites that sold competition auto sound products because I was building a system for my Camaro and I was intrigued by the idea of buying and selling things online. It's funny that my actual vocational path took me more in that direction but at the time I thought I was headed in this direction I'd established beforehand. Yeah well you know you, you asked me earlier about uh, you know why I named the book Solid Ground and I, I yeah. really didn't get around to answering that but um you know, to be successful in life, <clears throat> you have to take, you have to do first things first. And uh, as a home builder for most of my career, you know, I built over 6,000 houses for people and uh, was recognized as one of the best in Arizona. And uh, so and when you're a home builder, you pay a lot of attention to the foundation. And you know that if, if you have a bad foundation, you're going to have a bad house and you're going to have problems and you're going to have heartache. But uh, so building your career uh, and, and ultimately finding your talent or your passion or your brilliance, it has to start on a solid foundation. Every, your life does. And so the first uh, few chapters of, of the book talk about some things that, that aren't uh, talked about as much as they should be, which I believe are the things that, that, that make up that foundation. And I'd like to take a minute and just talk about those briefly. Please. That's right. You know, the, the first one's personal character and call it virtue, call it goodness, call it kindness, whatever you, but, but being a solid person, treating others with respect and trying to be, become a better person is, is I'll just, I'll just call that personal character because uh, there, there's a quote in the book I love. It says, uh, it, was, it was by Brian Kelly, the coach of Notre Dame when he first took the job there uh, in Notre Dame had become really bad in football. And they said, Coach, what are you going to do to, to get us winning again? And Brian Kelly said in his first press conference, before we can start winning, we have to stop losing. You know, and but what he meant by that was when you, when you have bad habits and when you don't discipline yourself and when you uh, treat others poorly and you're not a good teammate and you uh, don't eat right, 
you know, you set yourself up for failure. So anyway, personal character is one, one good way how you can stop losing and just and develop the good habits. The, the next one is just simply hard work. And uh, there are people today that talk about working smarter, not harder, and trying to, to create the myth that you can, you, can, you can do a great job in 40 hours a week. And I don't think if you talk to a thousand really successful people, you'll find all 1,000 of them put in a lot more effort than that. And so you, you just can't get ahead without putting in the time. And if you look at all the great athletes and, and the great business people and, and, and great doctors, I mean, they're all, they all put in excess time. And then, and then there's the value of setting goals. You know, I, I love the quote, a person without a goal is like a ship without a rudder. A rudder. You know, you have to, you have to know where you're going. You have to be self-directed. And, and there's, there's ways you can set goals that set you up for failure. And there's ways you can set goals that make you better. And uh, so I talk about that. And then, then the, the, the last two parts of the foundation are self-awareness. You know, that's understanding your talent, your personality, your, your values. Uh, there's exercises in my book to help you do, uh, get, get some clarity on all those things uh, because I've spent a lot of time in my career with uh, uh, self-awareness assessments and whatnot. And it's really helpful to kind of know your biases and know your strengths. And, uh, and then the last one is, uh, is uh, helping other people. Um, you know, and that's just a part of life that, is, that I've seen all the successful people I've known were generous were, took time for others and uh, really cared about other people. And, and so those are, the, those are the qualities I talk about in solid ground. And, and when I say solid ground, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. And, you know, I agree that even though they say the world of work looks very different today than it did even a generation ago or even 20 years ago, I, I'm with you that these fundamentals of what it takes to succeed remain substantially the same. It may look different in how people are maybe going about their work day or even if they even call it a work day at this point. I mean, that's up for debate. But you see the people who move up. You see the people who achieve the success tend to do those things you just described. Absolutely. I mean, it, like, like you just said, and that's really why I wrote this book is because I, it's really to remind people that there are principles that have not changed. And there's just so much noise, nonsense, and clutter and myths out there today about success that make people think it's easy and it's all about technology and, mm -hmm. and it's working smarter, not harder. And, and I think the principles uh, have not changed at all. Just the, the methods have changed, but the principles have not. And, uh, and that's really why I wrote this book is just to remind people about these principles and hopefully, uh, you know, they can, it, it'll, it'll benefit the people that, that, uh, take, take the message in. Yeah. A couple examples. Um, you see in many workplaces movement away from the idea that you sit at a desk or in a cubicle from 8am to 5pm with an hour for lunch and two 15 minute breaks. And you have your voicemail outgoing message that says, I'm either on the phone or away from my desk. In my book, Groundhog Day is an event, not a business strategy. I spend several pages on why the phrase, I'm either on the phone or away from my desk is silly and is actually a sign you may have counterproductive things going on in your workplace. So even though we're seeing in some places trends away from, you show up at exactly this time, you take exactly this type of lunch, you have this kind of voicemail greeting, you always answer your emails and remember to 
ask the people to let them know that you're there if you if they need further support from you. Blah 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 blah. blah. <laughs> and at the but at the same time, you see a lot of people being wildly successful. It's my contention that the idea of working from eight to five or whatever shift is, sometimes that's necessary. If you work in a, in a factory type environment or an industrial type environment, if you work in anything having to do with labor, if you're in a public service, like you're a police officer or a fireman or something like that, or a firefighter, then yeah, shift work in some cases becomes necessary because that's how you actually create the efficiencies. But when it comes to creative work in the workplace, like a company that renders services to people like I'm just going to say, for example, like a consulting firm or maybe an insurance firm or something like that. Two things to bear in mind that your customers are not necessarily looking for you to only be there nine to five. They may want you to be in there on the weekends. They may want to be able to call you on Saturday. So you can put those two things together. You may have some folks that don't want to drag themselves out of bed at what they feel is an unnatural hour. Uh, they would rather show up yeah. at 1030 after they do their workout and have their latte. But at the same time, they're happy to grind it out till 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. Now, if you have them in the office at that time, or you have them working remotely, being willing to be logged on and responsive, you can actually cover a lot more in terms of your customer service and your outreach. Yeah, well, you know, there's there's uh, several myths that I talk about in my book, and I'd like to mention just a few of them. But uh, here, here's a, here's some of the most uh, common myths <clears throat> and the reality that goes with it. First one is that successful people are just lucky. Uh, the reality is that successful people use their natural talents, start early, work late, and keep improving. Absolutely sure about that. The, another myth is you is you can be anything you want. And I don't believe that's true. I think you can be anything that you're naturally good at if you earn it. And so there's just no shortcuts. Um, uh, another one is you have to, uh, I've learned in talking to a lot of uh, college students uh, and I've asked them, how important is your career success? And they say, well, it's kind of important, but I wouldn't give up my happiness to be successful. So what they're thinking is that happiness and success are, are uh, mutually exclusive. But, but the truth of the matter is the reality is that happiness and success are unrelated. So and you can have both, you can have neither, or you can have one of the two. So it's a myth to say you have to choose between success and happiness. Right. And the, the one, one or a couple more is uh, taking risk. I think there's, uh, people are being kind of coached today to be safe and, and, uh, and avoid risk. But the reality of life is that risk and reward go together. And if you don't take any risk, you just won't get any rewards. And so uh, you have to kind of get comfortable taking risk. And there are ways to, to take smart risk. And I, I talk about that. And then, uh, then the idea that following your passion is the key to success, uh, I think is a myth. Uh, to me, success comes from hard work, talent, and persistence. And uh, it, it really, uh, it, and to, in my experience, the passion comes at the end, not the beginning. When I was a home builder for 25 years, and when I started my company, I didn't know, I didn't feel like I was passionate about home building. I just felt like I knew what I was doing and I, I was good at it. And then 25 years later, uh, it had become my life and I'd invested a lot of hard work and effort. And, and I suffered some because of all that and, uh, and then found success and 
and then it became a passion at the end. So um, these are just some principles that I feel like I've learned that I want to share and, and let others consider that. Okay, let's speak about goals. While you were speaking there, our listeners may have heard a car alarm going off in the background. One of my goals is the idea that I don't have to go to an office and sit in a cubicle or a, an office or something like that, and I don't want to be in an environment. Let me, let me tell you a brief anecdote, and then I'm going to get to a very powerful question that I know you're very excited to answer here. Um, I was involved in a startup several years ago, and that startup acquired office space. And the question arose, because at this time I had my full-time entrepreneurial venture, and the question arose, how much time would I put in at the startup's office? And I said, well, I'll come down for three hours twice a week. And to me, that was actually, that was a lot. (laughs) My goal was not to sit in an office. And somebody in attempting to encourage me to get excited about the idea of coming to their office, but said, think about it. You'll have people working next to you. And uh, if we want to go over something, you know, we can just go around to the cubicles and we can grab three or four people. And let's say, let's hop in the conference room and have a meeting. And I said, you understand you just described the thing that I avoid that keeps me going during the down steps of the roller cycle or the, yeah, the roller coaster of entrepreneurship is avoiding what you just described. So that's my goal, or one of my goals, rather, in terms of lifestyle mat- matching at the business. And mm-hmm. I know in your book, you discuss the importance of goal setting. I put a little lighthearted anecdote there, but I want to take this a lot further because there's something in your book that I really love. You have the acronym INSPIRE for setting goals. What does that stand for? I love acronyms. Yeah, well, you know, there's several acronyms been out there over, over the last few decades. The first one's SMART goals, and that was that one was popular for a while. And then somebody came up with the acronym HARD, and they had that stood for some different things. But I thought in those kinds of goals, they they all kind of uh, talked. They all kind of were kind of about the head, but they didn't really in, engage the heart. And in in my life, I have always been a goal setter, and I, and I, I love to set goals. I love to write them down. And I think the goals have to inspire you. And, and here's what those, those letters stand for. The, the first one word, the I, is inspire. I mean, to be motivated, you have to be personally inspired. It has to trip your trigger and, and tap into your energy. Right. The, the, the next thing is the N stands for noble. Uh, any goal that you uh, select has to be a noble goal. If your goal is better to say, I want to become the best salesman in the company, than to say, I want to make a million dollars someday. I mean, uh, making a million dollars might be, a, you know, might be a good thing, but it's not noble. You know, I don't, I don't think it's, it's really noble in, by itself. So right. uh, the, the S stands for specific. The more detailed it is, the better. Try not to be vague. The P stands for personal. Uh, it needs to be authentic. It needs to be kind of tapped into your strongest core values and uh, something you really care about. The I stands for immediate, something you can get going on now. Uh, the R is for realistic, reach high, but set goals you know you can achieve. And the E stands for expected. Uh, make, make, make it clear to yourself that, that you're, you're committed to this and you're going to make it happen. And um, so that, so, but you do need to set goals and, and you do need to do it often and uh, monitor them uh, as much as you can and, 
and uh, and and I think do it in different time frames. You know, you've got today, you've got this month, you've got this year, and then my favorite type of goal is someday. You know, what are your someday goals? And that kind of helps you develop a North Star. Um, when I was in grad school, my someday goal was to own my own company and uh, in the construction b business and uh, have it be one that uh, served customers and, and was a good employer and was profitable. And ultimately, I did exactly that. And so it all started with setting a noble goal. Here are two things I picked up on where you said that having a million dollars may not be necessarily a noble goal. I mean, a lot of people have goals of I want to have X amount of money. And I would look at that a step further. I would say, what would you do with a million dollars? Is that because you want financial freedom? Is that because you want to have a family and be able to spend a lot of time with your family without financial worry? Is that because you want you set up your kids for success? Is that because you want to be involved in philanthropy? What does that mean? What I mean, what is the nobility behind having a million dollars is where I personally would go with that. Um, now take that and match that to your second R, which is realistic. And I see people set goals all the time that are unbelievably unrealistic. And where they often manifest themselves is right around the time that we pay the calendar manufacturers to send us more paper with more boxes on it. In other words, right around the new year, when they make their declaration that this will be my best year ever, New year, new me. And the funny thing is, if you track their new best year ever declarations, it's the same damn thing over and over and over again, sometimes in adjusted for inflation, sometimes actually adjusted downward once they get a little splash of reality. But I think the reason they keep declaring their best year ever declarations is because they're setting goals that are either unrealistic based on where they are now without a plan to even move forward, or they're actually someone else's goals. Like they, um, they have a well-meaning mastermind or a well-meaning mentor who tells them to mm -hmm. aim beyond the sun and maybe you'll land on a star. But yeah. how the hell do you travel into space when you don't even know how to pilot a rocket ship well, well here, here's the key thing there though. um you know uh if i set as a you have to you have to tap into your to your values and, and your talents and that's my that's that's really my message you have to tap into your talent and your and your values and by by your values i mean uh your core values the things that matter the most to you and um there's assessments that really show that so for example, one of the values is, is, is aesthetic. And um, one of the six primary values I talk about in, in the book, and um, I, that's not a high value for me. So if somebody talked me into saying, Tom, you ought to play the piano. And I, just, and I got sucked in on that and said, okay, I'm gonna become a great piano player. I would, I would fail on that <laughs> because right. it, it doesn't resonate with who I am now. The, the business values of, of utility of utility and individualism uh, really uh, get me excited. And so the idea of starting a business and, and, and being in charge of it and making it, you know, uh, competitive and successful tapped into my authentic values. And so that's, so that's what your goals have to do. They have to be tied to your strengths and your values. And if they're not, you're probably going to set yourself up for failure it's going to hurt your self-esteem. Uh, it's going to hurt your income. It's going to it's going to be tough on your family at some point, maybe. 
if you fail. So everybody's good at something. And, and the hard part is trying to figure that out. But it does take time. You, you know, I didn't know all this when I was 25. And I didn't know it when I was 40, actually. It, it, it does take a lot of time. You just have to stay at it. You know, speaking of goals and speaking of realism, let's go back um, and see that what I love about business creators radio shows, we can have, rather than interrogation type interviews, we can have mastermind conversations. And that's what our listeners really appreciate. And, and Tom, I want to let you know, I appreciate you because I feel like I'm in a room with a mastermind. So I just want to let you know that first off. Um, okay. Let's go back to... Um, the whole thing where I decided that law school was not going to happen for me. So here I am graduating with a degree in political science. I got really high numbers, but I have no career path. And, you know, inevitably that led me to, to take the first crappy job that would give me a paycheck just so I could pay off all those credit cards I ran up into Penn State bars on Thursday night uh, until I found where I was really headed. Now, one of the paths I considered when I was in college, I had a part-time job working in a fast food restaurant, one of the major chains. And I really liked it, actually. Uh, I got burned out on it towards the end, but it's actually one of the things that here I am 25 years later, I actually have some nostalgia for that I actually feel I learned something about. And I, got, and I was seriously thinking about embarking on a career in management and restaurant management. In fact, I went back to that chain and had my general manager, the store I worked at, hook me up with their human resource person because I was exploring going into their management training program. And, oh, naturally, I got the feedback of, you went to college for that. That's where you're going to go. That's where your ambition ends. But then I spoke with another mentor who asked me a more powerful question. And he, and he asked me, what is it about the work that you did there that really energized you and made you excited about being there? It turned out what I enjoyed the most was looking at how inefficiently things ran and modifying processes to make things run more efficiently uh, to put it in very microcosmic level uh, when you know if I was a closer uh, one of my responsibilities would usually be that after the dinner rush I would do the uh, I would do the cleanup and then the pre-close for the cooking side of the line and part of that responsibility involved taking the trash out so according to their rule book, you're supposed to take the trash out first thing. And every time they had a manager trainee, they'd get up my crawl about how I don't know anything about policy. Here's what I did know, Tom. I did know that nearly a quarter of the paper waste of that restaurant was generated between the hours of 7, 7, and 7.30 when they pre-closed and restocked the condiment line. And if I, at seven o'clock, when I began the post rush, simply used the tamper to push the garbage into the cans, I could take that garbage and the garbage that was generated between seven and 7.30, take it out at 7.30. And instead of having piles of garbage at the end of the night, you'd have three out of four empty trash cans and the openers would have a lot more space to work. And the pre-opener who did the, the maintenance in the morning would have three-fourths less garbage to handle, which would save 15 minutes off their time. So I created a ripple effect where I saved nearly an hour in labor costs by making one slight adjustment. Yeah, I'm telling see, you about this now 25 years later because I'm getting juiced over the fact that I did that. So it's about efficiencies and looking at how things are and asking how can we make this work better? Because management's goal in a fast food restaurant, bottom line is to minimize labor costs. And here I am saying, 
look, I can just make this one little shift, 30 minute shift, and I can save you an hour every time I do it. Yeah, see, that's that's the utilitarian value that values efficiency and uh, usefulness and uh, and wealth, actually. So uh, if you if you value those things, you you're kind of uh, oriented toward business and it sounds like you are. Yeah, and when I and when I got in touch with things like that that motivated me about working in a fast food joint, that had me thinking about going into restaurant management with a political science degree, that led to where I ended up. My next step was going to Duquesne University to get my MBA in human resource management with a goal with a goal at that time toward becoming a Fortune 500 training and development director. And while I was in my MBA program, I was working for a mid-sized company and I was in the training department. And ultimately, I ended up designing presentations and even gave a few. So that goal started to come together. And ultimately, in my business, after years of a segue into being a marketing guy, in my the business consulting side of what I do, I've swung back to organizational efficiencies, making virtual teams work, looking at things and, and, and asking, where can we optimize billable hours? Not because we want to reduce contractors' pay, but because we want to get more out of those contractors. If they can spend a minute doing something that takes an hour, mm -hmm. you've now yeah. freed 59 minutes for them to do revenue-generating activities. Yeah. Um, Adam, let me uh, let me talk a little bit about uh, entrepreneurship. Yes, okay? please do. I mean, I mean I've, I've been one. I am one. It took me a while to, to, to get there, but I definitely got there. And, and here's what I've learned about entrepreneurship. <clears throat> First of all, there's some people that are really cut out for it, and there's a lot of people that are not. And uh, I think it takes certain personality traits to, to, to take it and, and to succeed. One, one of them is being assertive. I mean, you can't be uh, – you, you have to kind of stand up for things and advocate things and, and be dominant and persuasive and push to solve problems and overcome obstacles. And if you don't like overcoming obstacles, uh, you don't – you don't really, or you're not going to enjoy being an entrepreneur because there are always roadblocks in everything you want to do. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the, the next one is, is fast paced. I mean, I think people that I know, uh, they, they got a lot of balls in the air. They like to move fast. They, they enjoy change. They're not afraid of change. Uh, and, uh, and, and they have, have a lot going on at this at one time. Also persistence, you know, that's something I learned in, in high school football and, and through my business career, but you just can't quit. You have to love the grind and, uh, and, and that's one of the key ingredients. And then, then the motivating values, you, you were just talking about you, the, what I call the utilitarian value that values efficiency and return on investment. You don't like to waste anything and you're motivated by economics. That, that, that's a core value. I have that value too. And I think that's, maybe the biggest reason I was successful in business. And then there's the individualistic value, the, 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 where you see yourself as a person that makes things happen. You, know, you, you don't see yourself as a, as a victim. You see yourself as a mover and a shaker, and you're constantly improving. You like to compete. You like to win, and you like recognition, honestly. I mean, I think that the recognition drives a lot of the most successful people. And then finally, there's the theoretical value. It says you love knowledge and you love to, to learn new things. And yeah. um, so those are some of the behavioral traits. <clears throat> and now there's a few myths about the entrepreneurship I'd like to throw out. Um, Please do. For your readers. And um, yes, you know, it's, it's kind of what I call the Mark Zuckerberg effect. Uh, and and uh, 
Mark Zuckerberg is a, a ridiculously and enormously successful. And I, I think he deserves every bit of it. He's an incredible entrepreneur. But his model is not one I think most people can follow. <clears throat> and here's how it goes. I mean, a myth is that uh, starting a business is about a great idea, like Facebook. But in reality, it's, about, it's more about solving a market problem. Uh, you have to be thinking about the market. Now, Mark Zuckerberg definitely saw a market problem, uh, and he solved it. Um, another myth that uh, might uh, bother some people is, is it's about the team. And, uh, I, you know, I've spent my life on teams, and I totally appreciate teams. But a successful entrepreneurship or a business is about the leader and empowering the team. But it's, it's, I think it's mostly about the leader. You know, um, another one is <clears throat> it's about the passion. And uh, to me, I, I, I think it's more about adding value for customers. Uh, nobody cares about your passion. Your customers don't care about your passion. They care about what you deliver to them, the quality, the price, the service. Uh, so it's really, it's about them. It's not about you. Uh, another myth is it's about the strategy. Sure, you have to have strategy. That's the easy part. The hard part is the execution. You know, good entrepreneurs start and then uh, just keep getting better. And then the last myth is it's, it's got to be about growth. And to me, it's about constant improvement. Exactly. So, so that's, that's, uh, that's what entrepreneurship is really about. And, uh, but, uh, and you also have to deal with failure. If you, if you start off, if you start trying to be an entrepreneur, you will fail. It's something. I mean, you, you will struggle and you have to oh, yeah. overcome that. And then overcoming that is the first step towards success is having that early failure. And uh, so you, you can't be afraid to fail. Yeah. You know, very recently um, I was recording a course uh, that's part of one of my curriculums and I did all the testing to make sure that all of my audio settings would work. I did samples and everything else. I thought it was great. And then I banged out about 20 to 50 modules and then swung back into post-production and found out I had to delete all of them because the audio, I apparently I missed something in the settings and it was all foobar. Now, I could have gone into 25 levels of let's analyze this, let's find out what happened, let's find out who's responsible, yada, 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 yada. Or I could say, oh, well, that didn't work. I deleted all my Camtasia files, uh, went to Guitar Center, had them work with me on what was wrong with my setup. I got a new setup and it's working great now. So I recognize that I could have sent those files out and accepted the and accepted the volunteer offers of four of my friends who saw my Facebook post bemoaning the situation and uh, and uh, you know which was basically me saying, "Hey guys, what do you know about audio? What did I miss here so I can do this right the second time?" They were gonna take my files and see if they could clean them up, and I said, "No, they're foobar. I'll just start over." It's that little bit of drawing the line. There's one other thing, since you went into entrepreneurship, and I appreciate you doing so. When I work with companies, particularly startups, you have people who've either jumped out of the corporate world and haven't quite assimilated to the idea of entrepreneurship or, you know, they, um, or they're trying to rebuild a corporate culture. Here's the thing I noticed consulting with them. Email hell. There was this one client that I was consulting with. I actually have been working with them for five years now. They're great. And they've made so many strides. I mean, the things that they're accomplishing in their market are huge. One of my success stories, when I first started with them, 
I was spending on average four to five hours a week just going through all the email hell generated by their team members, all the reply to all chains, all the information getting lost because it was on step 17 of a 37-step conversation happened in 20 minutes. And I looked into that, and finally somebody said something to me. They said, yeah, we want to use that teamwork system, but I can't seem to log in, so I'm covering my ass by emailing it to you. And I said this. I said, look. If I want to see, if I want to see your ass, I want to see your ass. If you, if you want to cover your ass, what you want to do is you want to wear baggy sweatpants and a long, bulky coat. That's how you cover your ass. We're not interested in ass covering. We're interested in efficiency here. And I kept repeating that mantra. If you want to cover your ass, wear baggy sweatpants and a long, bulky coat. And every time we started getting the email again, I reminded them of that, reminded them of that, reminded them of that, and then let them see how much more efficiently themes, things worked when they used the teamwork system to share and collaborate on tasks. Email went way down. We didn't have to figure out what the heck was going on, and a lot more stuff got, started getting done. So that was you know, my entrepreneur looking at it as, why are they doing this, and what can we do better? And if you have me needing three to five hours a week just to read emails, and I'm getting paid a rate for doing that, so is yeah. everybody else. That client's yeah, well, paying a fortune for people to read well, emails. Go ahead, Tom. No, well, there's a lot of people that don't want to take risk and, uh, and uh, don't really have any goals. And so they're kind of like the ship without the rudder. They're just reading their emails and, and uh, covering their fannies. And, yeah. Uh, but that, but what they what they're lacking are inspiring goals, and uh, they're they're uh, undermining their their own success. And so, there's a lot of people that that fall into that trap. And uh, and you know, not everybody's cut out for uh, high achievement. You know. Yeah. And that was that was part of it too. Once that company, once that startup began to set more specific goals. We are going to do this event. We are going to do this online thing. We are going to do this with the website. We are going to create this outreach program. We are going to move from this reasonable step that we're at now to this also reasonable step in three months' time. It's measurable. It's incremental. Now they're thinking less about covering their ass and having to wear the bulky clothes in the form of email and more about where do I spend my time to make this happen? Because when I make it happen, I'm going to get the attaboys. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, Adam, I think we're getting almost out of time, but what other questions can I, uh, can I answer for you? I have one more great one for you here. And uh, yeah, we do have about five minutes left and I want to turn the stage over to you uh, just with our final question here. Um, here's, here's, let's speak a little bit about overcoming obstacles. In our careers, uh, whether it's the job, the entrepreneurial venture that we've adopted as our vocation, whatever it is, we run into obstacles. Now, in your book, Solid Ground, you describe some of the ones you've experienced in your own life. So tell us about something you overcame, and how can people stay motivated when times are tough? Well, um, let's see, you know, one before I started my home building company, I was working with Trammel Crow, and we started a home building business in Denver. Yeah, right. And I was in, and I was in charge of it, and I, I was I had other responsibilities, and I'd go up there for a couple of days every two weeks, and, uh, and the market was really bad. This was in the early eight or mid eighties, and um, uh, ultimately, 
we had a miserable failure. We, did, we weren't really committed as a group of partners. We didn't know the market. We had the wrong people in place. Um, and uh, we, we, uh, we really, and we had no vision and no real goals for it. And so yeah. well, ultimately we failed and it was a complete disaster. And uh, that was in about 1989 when that happened. And uh, the lessons I learned there were tough, you know, and we lost a fair amount of money and uh, it was one of those real failures. Uh, but uh, right after that happened, I started my own company. And I, and I was absolutely committed to never letting that happen again. So had, had I not had that failure, uh, then I would have had one later. You know, it's kind of like, uh, you, know, you've, you know, you can't go uh, undefeated in life. Right. <laughs> and you can't, you know, I'm a big co- uh, college basketball fan. And, uh, you, you know, you can't go undefeated in, in, in sports. I mean, you just, it, it happens almost never. So life is the same way you're going to lose but how you lose uh is very important and uh how you respond from it and uh or to it and um so i think that failure i had uh, set me up for success and it it, it taught me all the the hard lessons i needed to teach or needed to learn and uh, so that's going to happen you know and uh, you can't avoid it you can't avoid the struggle you know the the way a simple way to think about entrepreneurship is there's three phases. The first phase is the vision. And that's kind of the fun part. You know, we're going to start this company and make it grow and all that. The second phase, once you do that and you get started, the second phase is called the struggle. And then you run into all the obstacles, all the adversity, all the problems, all the lessons that come and that lasts for quite a while. In the case of my company, I would say the first 10 years of my company was a struggle. And then things, we got better. Uh, the market actually got better. And then we had a, the second 10 years, we, we, we were thriving. And, uh, uh, but but th- then it, it really turns into a journey. So the three phases are the vision, the struggle, and the journey. It's never over. Right. I think I think you're I think you're absolutely right about that. I've really enjoyed our conversation. And before we wrap up, I know myself, I'm going to be very interested in getting a copy of the book Solid Ground. And there may be some listeners as well who are leaning in a little bit wanting to maybe connect with you a little bit further and find out more about how you can work with them. So take a minute and let us know how people can get a hold of you and what they can look forward to experience once they do. Well, uh First of all, we have our book listed on Amazon, and it's yep. also, I think, it is soon going to be in all the major bookstores. Uh, so I do think it's a book worth reading. Uh, it's almost like a uh, uh, something that you can keep on your shelf and refer to, almost like a, I don't want to call it a textbook, but it is a, it is an, a motivational book, and, and there's a lot of inspiration in there. Um, that I think people will, will relate to, especially my own personal story, because there's a lot of personal struggles there that I talk about and just try to be vulnerable. And, uh, you know, cause we all have that. And, uh, but, uh, but there's a lot of core life lessons that I think ultimately will lead to a good life, to a happy life, to a purposeful life. Uh, if you build your life on solid ground and, uh, so you, you can find it on Amazon, uh, 
on our website. Uh, it's not, we don't, actually our, our own website is not set up yet. It will be set up by the end of March and there'll be information on there about how to contact me. Great. Awesome. Well, T.W. Lewis, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and an education. Well, thank you, Adam. I enjoyed it as well, and best of luck to you and your journey. You bet. And we trust for everybody who's listening, you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Be sure to check out our previous and our upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.